This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Want to know what's going on in your neck of the woods and learn the history and the people behind the events that you love across the state? Get to know the real Mississippi. Check out MPB Think Radio's Next Stop Mississippi podcast on all platforms or on the MPB public media app. It's MPB Think Radio. I'm Charles Arnold. This is a special Fall Pledge Drive podcast episode asking you to support the MPB news and information you rely on each day. It's so easy to contribute. Call 888-372-4483 or spend just three minutes online at mpbonline.org. Thank you for your contribution. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking. That's the most interesting show about the most interesting people and stories of the state of Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, editor-at-large and editorial cartoonist of Mississippi Today. Uh, Apparently, I'm haunted today. I can't seem to speak English. Um, Anyway, ghosts and ghouls beware. My next next guest is Jeff Duke. He's author of the 2022 book, Ghostly Tales of Mississippi. Now, it's a book that uncovers 14 terrifying tales— based on reportedly true accounts about some of the state's most haunted locations. And it proves that well, his fascination for things that go bump in the night has reached the pinnacle of detective level. He joins us today to discuss the book, his passion for writing, his future projects, growing up right here in Mississippi, and why the state is amongst the most haunted states in America in the perfect setting for some of the ghostliest tales ever told. Oh, wow. Man, I tell you what, the scariest week of the year. I hope everybody's getting all pumped and ready to go for Halloween. I know we've got our candy ready, uh, basically, and we're going to keep the light off so that no kids show up and we can eat all that candy because that's how we roll. Uh, But as well, of course, as you know, MPB is going, in conjunction with WAPT, is going to be broadcasting all across the state of Mississippi a great gubernatorial debate on Wednesday night. I'm looking forward to that. Mississippi Today, we're my day job where I work is going to be doing a watch party at Helen Mouse at, during the debate. And you're, of course, welcome to come. Uh, but I'll be doing a live cartoon that night. So that'll be fun. So that'll be a great time. So if you want to be scared, you know, it's always good to go watch a debate or something. I don't know. I'm just trying to do a little bit of a Halloween juxtaposition there. Hey, look, welcome. Thanks for joining us. And uh, the book, Ghostly Tales of Mississippi, Hauntings and Horrors and Scary Ghost Stories is fantastic. I read it over the weekend. It's a quick read. It's a fun read. And it's one that you probably ought to keep next to you by the campfire when you're out reading ghost stories. It's fantastic. So I'd like to welcome, without further ado, Jeff Duke uh, to the studio. Jeff, man, congrats on the book. Hey, Marshall. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm glad you enjoyed the book. No, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. You grew up in Tupelo, so you, you from, you're from these parts, which I thought was kind of cool because you had the – um, Cinemark Theater at the Mall Barnes Crossing uh, ghost story in there. So that one sounds like one that you may have had some personal experience with. Right. When everybody thinks you know the haunted places in Tupelo, Lyric Theater is always the one that pops up at the top of the list because it was used as like a triage case during the uh, tornadoes that came through in the 30s, I believe. Oh, yeah. Wow. And uh, that's supposed to be a haunted place in Tupelo. But I was like, that's eh, been done to death. And I was like, eh, that's a haunted arcade. That'd be kind of interesting. And I'd heard that story coming up, you know, that there was something that haunted the, the arcade around the movie theater and everything. And, uh, yes, I think I turned out well with that one. Yeah, I mean, if I'm a ghost, where else am I going to hang out? I mean, it's a lot more fun to hang out in an arcade than just some boring place, you know, whatever. Exactly. 
So, I mean, but I mean, how do you do? Because they really can't grip a coin, can I don't know. Some of the ghosts <laughs> and some of the ghosts in your stories, though, have got some serious power. So, um, right. Fantastic book, though. How did you get the idea of coming up with it? Uh, a friend I've known since elementary school, Emily Comer, Beaumont. Now she uh, had she works for Adventure King Publications, and uh, they do a series of books for each state with like hauntings of each state and everything. And uh, they got to Mississippi, and she recommended me, and uh, they reached out to me, sent them a sample. They liked it and said, "Go with it." So yeah, yeah. What is it about Mississippi? Because it seems like we have more than our fair share of ghostly stories. Uh, it's probably the the, the tragedies in Mississippi. Civil Wars and everything, and then also just the, the rich, you know, tradition of storytelling. Both my, both my grandparents are great storytellers. And just these stories that are passed down, you know, through the years and everything. Yeah, that, that I think, you know, I think you just nailed it on the head on that one because we definitely do tell some great stories. And there are, like I said, in the book, there, and you managed to get all around the state, too. So, I mean, you go from pretty much to the north to the south. Right. Yeah, I wanted to kind of bounce around and everything. And most of them I'd heard of, I'd read a uh, uh, the uh, go, uh, the 13 Mississippi Ghost books, the thir- there's like 13 Mississippi Ghosts, 13 Alabama books. I can't remember the author's name, but I read those growing up. So I was familiar with a lot of them, but it was nice to get these stories and kind of put my own twist on them a little bit. Have you ever seen a ghost? The story there about Longwood yeah. and the Natchez Plantation? That's me. And that's, that happened to me. You saw both of them? <clears throat> yes. No way. I was, down there, I was down there in sixth grade. I was on a tour with like the eighth grade, like talented and gifted class. And uh, I wandered off, and I saw the woman in the yellow dress. She could have been a reenactor, she could have, but she could have been something else. But it definitely happened. Wow. So was it like she was she solid? I mean, uh, most yeah. of my ghost stuff I learned from Scooby Doo, so you have to you have to excuse my ignorance on this. But, right. but she was solid, like you could you couldn't see through her. Yeah, perfectly solid. I can still see her today. She looked right at me. Wow. And she just and like cut- I said it, just walked past me and looked right at me, and. Uh, like I said, I don't remember seeing any other reenactors there. Anybody else walking around in, you know, dresses from the 1800s. But it definitely happened. And, I don't know, the horror writer me chooses to believe it was a ghost. Yeah, and you saw the husband, too? Yeah, I saw him faintly, very faintly. Okay. Um, I was outside and looked over on a tree and looked back, and he was gone. Oh, wow. So he was, like, see-through, more like Ghostbusters. Yeah, exactly. More, yeah, more what you think when you think ghost. But the, oh, wow. Uh, was a, as they say Ghostbusters, that one was a full-blown apparition. So, yeah. <laughs> so you had your pack on and everything. But, <laughs> right, right. So that's real cool. I'm going to go back and reread it now and read it with you in mind on that. Because, I mean, that was that was a great – I love that house, too. I mean, about to say, that's, yeah, that, that's such a cool, just, cool building. Yeah, it's just fascinating. Because you get in the bottom level and everything's like, then you get in the top and it's just like a skeleton up top. It's just, yeah, it's really neat. I know. I brought my dad down there. My dad used to build houses and stuff like that, and he just geeked out on just looking. Because you can see how they built it, and it's just incredible. That, that Anyway, I, I digress on this. Some of the stories, obviously, um, just terrify me. Um, okay, first of all, I'm trying to think uh, the one that's in Columbus. Yeah, Nash Road. The, yeah, the three-legged th- lady road. What What was that? I mean, seriously, did that really, those poor people really get their car beat in? by? <laughs> and and what, what was she beating it with, Her the leg? I would think so, or just banging her head into it or something. Yeah, that's that's a story that's been around. I remember that when I was in college, we stayed here, the story about that place. And friends from Columbus tell me about that, that story. So, yeah, I decided to, you know, put pen to paper and see if I can come up with a good, you know, short story around it. You've your influences, the, the people that have you, you took a class with Barry Hanna at Ole Miss, which yes. uh-huh. that had to be amazing. Then you apparently switched schools and Dr. Price Caldwell also. So you've you've had some incredible um, mentors when it comes to writing. 
Yeah, much of my dad's was dismay. I went to Mississippi State. He bleeds maroon and white. Much of my dad's was dismay. I was like, I'm going to Ole Miss. I go to Sunday under Barry Hanna for a bit. And he was he was, wasn't happy about that, but he begrudgingly let me go. And it was fun. Barry Hanna was an interesting guy. Yeah. So, and um, I've I been saying, when you were a kid, what, what stories influenced you? I mean, for me, I remember Wrinkle in Time. I'm trying to think about what books I loved as a kid. What, what were the ones that really made you want to learn how to become a writer? Man, in sixth or seventh grade, I picked up a copy of Stephen King's Night Shift, his collection of short stories, yeah. and that just knocked me for a loop. That was just fantastic. And uh, that's the one that got me like, yeah, okay, I want to try writing. I've been even writing fantasy, like Tolkien-inspired Dungeons & Dragons. So I was a D&D kid, mate. And uh, I was mainly writing fantasy stuff. And then I read Night Shift. And I was like, huh, I want to try doing some horror stuff, scary stuff. Then uh, from him, I went to Matheson. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft was another big influence. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, but, yeah, Stephen King's Night Shift, that was the turning point. You know, it's funny because I remember I had a teacher that told me I couldn't write. So I went and got Stephen King's book on writing. And, and, I, learned, uh-huh. and I learned how to write. I mean, it was just it was such a great book. So I can totally oh, yeah. see how Stephen King would be a huge influence. Oh, yeah, I've read that book several times. It's just, it's really good, you know, introductions of the craft and how to do it, yeah. Right, right. So you're you're in Austin now, correct? Correct, uh-huh. Yep, I moved out here in 2009. Oh, wow. So you got there right as it started exploding and the traffic got insane. Exactly, exactly. Now it's Tech Bro City, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I got here right at the tail end of, I guess, old Austin, I guess. Yeah, so what are you working on? I mean, are you, you continue, obviously the new books, you know, it's not new, it's a second edition of the book, but I mean, the right. book, that book's out. Are you working on anything right now? Yes, I've got something. I'm the king of starting something and just kind of fizzling out because it doesn't entertain me anymore, but I've got this one idea I've been turning around in my head for years. It's uh, kind of kids on bikes fiction. Um, think Goonies, Lost Boys, and Stranger Things. Oh, cool. But yeah, it's, it's a town. It's, I grew up in the 80s, love the 80s. I think it was the best time to be a kid, naturally. Um, and it's a town where the satanic panic is actually a real thing. Oh, wow. Wow. That's yeah. Good. So, yeah. I mean, I'm about to say, Texas, you know, I used to live out in Texas, too. And, of course, uh, Austin is a very creative place. It's kind of like being in Oxford. You know, there's just a lot of creative people bunched up in one small area. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So that's cool. You're listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm Marshall Ramsey, and we're back with Jeff Duke. He's author of the 2022 book, Ghostly Tales of Mississippi, part of Hauntings, Horrors, and Scary Ghost Stories series. And we've been presenting a little bit, talking about the creepiest and most surprising tales all around the state of Mississippi. Um, Jeff, I, I was just going to say, I, I love the stories and I was going to get you to read one of the stories, and I threw out two or three of them. Is there one particularly that jumps out at you that you'd like to share? I like the the Yazoo Witch story. Yes. And then the last one, the Witch Dance story. I, I've got a thing for witches as a horror trope. So, yeah, those two I really like. Yeah, let's, let's, let's throw the Witch of Yazoo City, and maybe we can slip in the Witch Dance toward the end. All right, let me get my readers on. I've reached that. that level Isn't that amazing? Right I know it. I'm like, okay, can I have like 85 point type, you know, so I can read? <laughs> right, right. Let me see if I can sit you on speakerphone and give me one second, okay? Okay, very good. Um, so we're going to be setting up the Witch of Yazoo. Willie Morris has mentioned, of course, that before. It is legendary. If you go into the graveyard, the grave is there. Uh, but he does such a good job with this story. So I can't wait to hear this on the air. So. Yeah, this is this is one of those stories that kind of wrote itself. But since I started typing, it just it just took off. And uh, was it yeah, witchcraft? Really, uh, the witch of Yazoo City. Yeah, yeah, I, it just kind of wrote itself, and but, I really liked it. But, okay, well, let me ask you one quick question here before you get going. Did you have a ghostwriter? No, all me. Okay, well, I just that that's my dad joke of the day. Okay, here we go. 
Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Something had to be done about the old woman who lived alone on the banks of the Yazoo River. Of this, the town was certain. And in the summer of 1884, when a badly wounded fisherman staggered into town, the people decided that the time to deal with her had come. His clothes were bloody, and his body was covered in strange symbols that were gouged into his flesh. The fisherman told the townspeople gathered around that he and his companion had been fishing on the river when they were drawn to a lonely shack by cries for help. He remembered approaching the cabin with his friend, but he recalled nothing more until he awoke on the floor of the shack. I swear, we was just heading up to, up to that shack, and that's all I remember. I remember Bill saying, it sounds like someone's dying up there. We best go help out. We got to the door. Next thing I know, I'm on the floor of the shack in an awful pain. I had all these marks on me, and Bill was hung up in the corner, dead. He'd been gutted like you do with a damn deer. Weren't nobody in the cabin, just me and poor old Bill. There was a meal of some sort cooking over the fire, so somebody had been there. I managed to get up off the floor and stagger into the woods, walked for a long time, and now here I am in the sorry state you see me in. The townsfolk looked at each other and cursed under their breath. A woman said a quick, quick prayer. Another almost fainted. The people of Yazoo City had always heard stories of strange goings-on at the lone cabin out on the river. Children would sometimes sneak out there at night and return to town with tales of wild screaming and singing coming from inside the shack. But this, this bloodied man with his tale of gruesome murder was something else. Somebody best get the sheriff, said Emmett Lott, who ran one of the town stores. He'll be wanting to know about this. Everyone nodded in agreement, and a young boy ran off to fetch the sheriff. You ever seen such a wicked mess, boss? The deputy asked as he and the sheriff walked around the shack by the river. He covered his mouth with a handkerchief as he took in the scene around him. I surely have not, the sheriff replied, not in all my days. The interior of the shack was dark, lit only by a small fire in the fireplace and a single oil lamp. And it smelled of blood and rot. Just as the fisherman had told them, the body of his friend was there in the corner, hanging from his neck by a rope. The rope had dug deep into his throat and was tossed over a rafter and tied off on one of the support beams for the cabin. One of his eyes was missing, and his tongue had almost been pulled completely out of his mouth. In the darkness of the cabin, the two men could hear flies buzzing. On the wooden floor of the cabin was a large, strange symbol that neither the sheriff nor his deputy had seen before. It had been carved directly into the wood, and smaller, strange symbols surrounded it. Piles of various objects were placed neatly near the symbol. The sheriff kicked over one of the piles with the toe of his boot. The pile was made of bird feathers, small bones, and some gray roots. My granddaddy had to pay a call to a hoodoo woman when I was a child. Took me with him. All this stuff on the floor reminds me of her place, said the sheriff. He spit a stream of tobacco juice into the middle of the circle of the floor and proceeded to rub it in with the toe of his boot. I still have dreams sometimes of going up to our house. Couldn't have been more than nine. Wouldn't let go of my granddaddy's hand until he made me do so. I'll surely be having nightmares about this place, the deputy whispered. You think we should go ahead and cut this poor soul down? Not until we find the woman what done this, the sheriff answered. One of the citizens who had been deputized on the spot called out from the front porch. Woman had walked out of the woods, seen the crowd at her cabin, and fled into the forest. The sheriff and his deputy exchanged a quick glance and unholstered their guns. Their heavy boots shook the entire cabin as they ran out. Lord, she is fast. Ain't natural, thought the sheriff as he pursued the old woman. She raced ahead of them at a speed that would rival any swamp rabbit. Starting under tree limbs and leaping over moss-covered logs, she ran ahead of them with her dirty clothes and stringy, filthy hair flailing behind her. The sheriff and his men did their best to try to keep up, 
and the old woman cackled at their effort. Soon, losing all sight of the evil old woman, the men slowed their pursuit and continued in the direction she was last seen. All the men were gasping for air. A few crouched down, waved their hands, and said they could not go another step farther. All were soaked with sweat from running in the heat of the summer day. One by one, all of the men in the posse eventually stopped the rest. Soon, only the sheriff and his deputy were left. You got it in you to keep going? Asked the sheriff to his deputy. I do, he replied. I'll go as long as I can. That's all I can ask. Let's get at it. The two continued for several more minutes through the thick, swampy woods. Finally, with no sign of the crone or her trail, the two were on the verge of giving up. Just as they looked at each other to see who would bring up the idea of giving up the chase first, a harsh voice spoke from the woods in front of them. You can best help me. You best, that's for sure, or I'll visit damnation and ruin upon you. The two edged forward with their guns drawn, walking with a cautious, deliberate pace. The ground beneath their boots got softer and softer as they approached the voice that once again demanded help. Both ready their guns. The barrel of the deputy's shotgun shook as he held it out in front of him. The old woman was before them, slowly sinking in quicksand. Already she was up to her neck in the thick muck. She pivoted her head and fixed her eyes on two of them. One of her eyes was black. The other was the color of spoiled milk. Her matted, greasy hair fanned around her head, and her mouth was filled with teeth that had been filed to rough points. Best help me, she said in a voice that reminded them of rusty screen door hinges. I'll damn the lot of you if you don't. She looked at them expectantly. The sheriff thought she looked at them hungrily, too. Let the mud take her, was all the sheriff said. The hag glanced at the sheriff with wild eyes. She seemed lost in thought for a moment as she slowly sank deeper. Then she spoke. In 20 years, I will bring destruction down upon your town and your people. I'll burn your homes and your children. My flames will eat the town up and leave blackened homes and black bones. The sheriff spit a wad of tobacco into the quicksand as the mud finally took her. Days later, a mule and a chain were brought out, and the town folk pulled the woman's body from the quicksand. They buried her in Glenwood Cemetery, where they could keep an eye on her, rather than leaving her body in the swamp. A tombstone was erected with a simple inscription of T.W., the witch. A chain was placed around the grave, as some members of the town believed this would shackle the old woman to her gravesite. And then the old woman and the story of her bloody deeds drifted into local legend and campfire stories. In 1904, a fire broke out at the home of one Miss Wise, who was preparing for a wedding. When she recounted the fire, she claimed it seemed alive and was impervious to water and any attempts to put it out. In minutes, it engulfed her house. As townsfolk raced to try and put out the fire, a violent wind came up, unheard of weather in May. The wind howled and pushed the flames to other structures. As the residents told it later, the flames seemed determined to burn the whole town down, and they almost succeeded at their task. Before the fire was contained, 200 homes and businesses were reduced to ash and smoldering embers. The residents of Yazoo City stumbled around among the ruins and tried to recover as best they could. More than one grimy, soot-covered face glanced at the direction of Glenwood Cemetery. The sheriff, slower than he had been 20 years before due to the passage of time and a bootlegger's bullet that was lodged in his leg, was the first to make the trek to the cemetery and the witch's grave. He remembered her vow and that she'd made some 20 years ago to have her revenge on the town. Was it to the day? He couldn't remember for sure. When he arrived at the grave, he was startled to discover that the headstone was cracked down the middle and the thick, rusty chain surrounding her grave was broken. The giant links seemed to have been pulled apart. The sheriff stared at the grave for a few silent moments and was soon joined by some of the more curious residents of Yazoo City who crept up cautiously 
and looked at the grave with wild eyes. It's a hell of a thing, he finally said. Ooh. Ooh. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Now, you know, because I've seen the the grave before, so I was like, that is so cool to know the backstory on that one. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're sitting there writing about a legend like that, obviously you got to fill in pieces and, and so forth and do your research. How do you come? How did you come up with all the stories? And how did you you say, okay, I'm going to pick this one and then then find out and do your research? Well, just uh, reading. I had, I had a couple books. I read a lot online. A lot of resources online. I reached out to some local people in the areas, like Nick Cruz. He's my buddy of mine, and he uh, Yazoo City, and he's like a local Yazoo City historian. Reached out to him, got some more information, and then just kind of fleshed it out. It was weird, you know, writing within the confines of someone else's story. Um, I just kind of had to fill in the characters and make the story move along. So. Yeah, definitely on that. Now, there was um, the Rowland Medical Library right here in Jackson. And this is great because, you know, I mean, I I recently spoke in an event where I was at UMC and I could look out the window and I could see where they were doing the excavations of the of the graves that are on there. So that story I mean, it's like that story was there. Has there really been ghost sighted? Yes. Uh huh. Oh, wow. Wow. And that that story popped up. I was like, man, there's such a ghost story, a horror story in there. Just, you know, pulling these graves from this, you know, insane asylum around the ground. There's just such a story there. And uh, that was the first one I sent to them, and I sent them kind of, hey, this is what I plan on doing. And they liked it and said, go with it. Wow. So, I mean, for people that aren't familiar with what's, what's going on, there is that's where the the insane asylum was in the state of Mississippi after what till the 1930s I think it was and if you if you ever see photos of the building itself it looked like literally something out of a horror movie I mean it was just yeah. it was just the style and everything it looked kind of almost like Shawshank prison to yeah. be honest with you very uh, very gothic yeah yeah and obviously you know modern mental health care is way beyond what it was back in the day. And so a lot of people, you know, they would be put in the insane asylum and they would pass away and there's the bodies weren't claimed by the family or whatever the case may be. So they were just buried there on the property. It was it was a proper cemetery, but it was like it's they kind of lost track of a lot of it. And I know I know on one of the excavations, for instance, they they take took out an adult size uh, casket and there was like a child in it, which is to me, oh, wow. I mean, that just blew my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, that must have been absolutely horrific. But in your story, you have somebody that's literally pacing back and forth. The yeah, ghost. they're like pacing their room or their cell. Like yeah. Walking in, so. Oh, wow. On that. So it's great. So um, let's see. I'm trying to, it's the one that, the first one I read, I kind of didn't go from the beginning to the end. I just popped right in the middle of it. The Vicksburg um, National Battlefield in Vicksburg. That was great. You would think that there would be ghosts, because I know there are ghosts in Vicksburg uh, and some of the, the houses and so forth on there, but you would think on the battlefield there would be, and I've always driven through the park like after a thunderstorm when there's like this ground fog and everything, and I've always kind of almost expected to see soldiers in that fog because, there, you know, so many people died in such a short amount amount of time there um that story though that that one's once again that was based on a true story mm-hmm. yeah as far as people seeing a ghost uh the main thing people hear they hear battle a lot out there from what i read really so sound of gunfire and people screaming and moaning and stuff Ugh. and it's it's definitely a creepy place if you catch it at the right time yeah no no doubt like i said after a thunderstorm in the summertime and right about Toward the end of the evening, when it's starting to get dusk, yeah, it gets pretty scary pretty quick. Right. I, I was trying to think. There's some some more here that was going to jump out in this segment here. 
Longwood, that was you. Nash Road, Columbus is is completely terrifying. The one, and I was trying to think, is it John's Bayou Road? Is that the one with the, the red blood on the road? John's Bayou Road. Let me check. Yeah, that's the, well, the one with the black van. Yeah, yeah. There's supposedly a haunted van that uh, is made that, is, that you know, has been seen there and caused accidents and everything. And I just had to I like that idea because there's like an old TV show, a made-for-TV movie about a haunted car. Not Christine, but it was another one that was running people off the road. And I just kind of ran with that, and I really think it turned out well. Yeah, it really did. And the just like I said, I don't want to spoil all 14 stories on this, but I mean, this one was literally like the van, the ghost van hit their car and destroyed their car. So, I mean, you'd normally think a ghost like they pass right through you, but this one obviously mm-hmm. was able to do terrible damage. Yep. And then vanish. Huh. Wow. So we we think we have a ghost in our house, right? So uh, okay. one of the owner, one of the previous owners, we think is in the house. So just strange stuff happens around the house, and and you know, my kids have sworn they've seen something, and I'm not sure what something is a little bit. But uh, when you when you write in this, these ghost stories, my favorite one, like I said, is Stucky's Bridge. Um, that one just because we went out there last year with WJTV and we filmed a segment on it and I told the story and I painted it and so forth, uh, painted the actual bridge, not like I didn't paint the bridge. I painted it like a picture of it. Um, but I also got a concussion there, too, which I totally blame on old man Stucky because he was completely an awful, evil human being uh, there as well. And, th- you know, the people around there, they all came out and said, yeah, this stuff's real. This stuff really happens. The the lantern, the the sound of water hitting, you know, objects hitting the water, um, seeing apparitions hanging from the bridge. That place is like pretty wicked. And on top of that, devil worshipers go out there and they burn holes in the, you know, when they're doing their little whatever they do, uh, doing it on the bridge itself. But I thought that I was actually going to fall through the bridge. Uh-huh. Because that bridge is, uh, it was built around the turn of the 20th century, and it's not a whole lot to it. I mean, it's it's pretty weak uh, structure on that. So I was like, I could see an old man Stucky getting his revenge and me falling through the bridge on that. Although, I, like I said, I did hit a steel beam with my head and, and got a concussion on that. So, But it's, um, and it's like way back into the woods. I mean, like you hear banjos way back into the woods. It's way, way back there. And and, and it, the water's gorgeous. I mean, I didn't see any hands or anything sticking up out of the water, but I thought you did a really good job with that story. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, it's definitely one of the places I want to check out next time I'm back home. Yeah, definitely. So uh, how often do you get home? You come back to Mississippi? Uh, every couple of years. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've got a trip coming up probably December, maybe after the first of the year. I'm going to come back home and Go check out some of these places I wrote about. A lot of it was done just remotely, just, you know, reading about them on the Internet, looking at pictures. I thought you really did a good job that painting you did of Stucky's Bridge. Oh, thanks. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. That was a lot of fun. That really was. And uh, like I said, you know, it was almost worth the concussion. Right. <laughs> so, it, it totally changed how I do this radio show, too. So and needless to say. But, no, it was fun. And you're listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm Marshall Ramsey, editor-at-large and editorial cartoonist of Mississippi Today, and we're back with Jeff Duke. He's the author of the 2022 book, Ghostly Tales of Mississippi. It's, it's part of the Hauntings and Horrors and Scary Ghost Stories series, and it presents the creepiest, most surprising tales of the state. A lot of haunted great stories, and there's 14 of them. We've touched on some of them. He read the Witch of Yazoo story, which is fantastic. Jeff, this has been fun, and the book is really a 
great breezy read. It's fun to have around. Um, if you like to read ghost stories to your kids or whatever, uh, there's some really great stories in there to read your kids as well. And there's some for, they're kind of scary too, really super uh, frightening. You had mentioned the witch dance. I don't think we have enough time for you to be able to read it, but I would love you to, to kind of summarize it a little bit and talk about it because it's, I always see witch dance when I'm heading up the trace. It's near Houston, uh, Mississippi. And I've always wondered, you know, what's that about? And I was like, witch dance, that doesn't make sense. And you really do tell that story really well. Yeah, that was the one, like, when I first submitted these stories, like, someone there, like, all right, you got to dial this way back. So I've gone full out with horror and gore and everything. It's like, okay, there's, like, you know, all those goosebumps. Well, with Witch Dance, I said, give me one story where I can just, you know, write what I want to write. And they agreed to it. I think that's the best one in there. Um, Witch Dance is an area, uh, and supposedly where a coven of witches used to meet, and the, there's, where they would dance and have their rituals, so nothing will grow there. And there was a famous... Highwaymen, uh, the Hart brothers, and they hunted the Natchez trades, murdering and robbing people. And uh, one of them, he had challenged one of the witches, you know, come and get me and, you know, dance in one of their areas. And uh, the law finally caught up with him and they beheaded him and his head disappeared. And the, one of the witches had supposedly stolen his head and you boiled it down to make a broth for her ailing son and supposedly cured him. <laughs> and they think they're now and they're like, dead patches where nothing will grow there no vegetation is all around those patches oh wow wow i'm I'm just trying to think the 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 whole cutting the head off thing to begin with seems to be a little harsh i guess it was to just kind of remind folks coming through there not to do that yeah they put it on a pike on one of the towns there and put it outside there though as a warning to other you know would be highwaymen and bandits i'm kind of glad the trace has kind of calmed down a little bit Oh, it's still spooky at night. My wife is from Napa, California. Last time we were home, we drove the trace at night, and she was not happy. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's like driving through a petting zoo at 50 miles an hour. There is a yeah. ton of deer on that thing. So, it's yeah. Like a tunnel. Trees come right up to the road. There's no lights at all. It's just it's pretty spooky. Yeah, I'm definitely going to stop at the witch dance stop, though, after you mention that. Although um, the characters in the story kind of did suffer kind of a more sinister fate. So I'll have to be I have to make sure I'm very careful. Right, right. And uh, make sure my phone's fully charged and make sure. Well, of course, the thing is, most of that area around there, you don't get any bars anyway. So I can see where that'd be a slight problem. I was trying to think. You're Obviously, Halloween's coming up. Are there any characters from your book that you would love to to dress up as I, I like witches i like witches a lot yeah um yeah, just there's something about witches they've always you know entertained me and everything so probably one of the witches probably so would you go like the bewitched witch or would you go like the wizard of oz witch oh creep is a spirial witch okay <laughs> oh yeah okay just checking on that all right so how can folks find your book obviously i found it very easily i bought it and downloaded it and it was fantastic yeah, it's on Amazon. Uh, Books a Million carries it. Uh, Walmart, Target, and Square Books in Oxford is carrying it. Yeah, so it's all over the place. So you, you say you're going to come back after the first year. Are you going to do any book signings? Uh, I've thought about it. I might do that. Yeah. Well, why not? That way you can write the trip off. Right, right. See, thinking for you on that one, on that. You got any big plans for Halloween? You going to do anything spooky or scary? Just handing out candy and probably watching the classic horror movies. Oh, that'll be cool. Um, right. Yeah, so what's favorite horror story? Since you've written a horror, I mean, a you know, a ghostly book. Best movie. What's best movie? Yeah. Uh, I like the old Hammer horror movies with Vincent Price, I mean, Christopher Lee oh, yeah. and uh, Peter Cushing. And then I like the 80s movies. John Carpenter's The Fog is one of my favorites. The Shining, man. The Shining 
yeah, that was one that traumatized me as a kid. I watched that way too young. And then as far as current movies, man, do you think A24 does? A24 Studios is putting out the best horror movies right now. Talk to Me is the most recent movie. I heard it's fantastic. I'm probably going to rent it Halloween night. Uh, Hereditary. Um, the Black Coat's Daughter was really good. Oh, wow. I was just trying to think. Um, the Exorcist, I remember as a kid, I, I ended up watching that, and I really shouldn't have because right. I, I don't think I slept for six months after that. Right. I had the same with uh, Peter Strop's Ghost Story, released in 1981. My grandparents owned a drive-in in Houston, Mississippi, the drive-in eight. And I watched that movie sit in my granddaddy's truck by myself and was absolutely terrified. It, it scarred me. <laughs> and now you're, writing, now you're writing spooky books. So there you go. Exactly. That, that's, that's how you're doing your therapy on this. Real quick, um, how can folks find out more about you? Uh, I don't have a writer's presence online. I've got my personal Facebook page under my name, and I've got an Instagram page where I showcase you know, some writing stuff and some painting stuff I do. Oh, fantastic. Man, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time, and thank you for the book, Ghostly Tales of Mississippi. Uh, just a fantastic book. Hey, thanks, Marshall. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Will do. All right. All right, and thank you. I appreciate it, and thank you for listening. And special thanks to our guest, author Jeff Duke, for joining me today. And if you'd like to hear this or any past episodes, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app or on our MPB public media app. Hey, Now You're Talking is produced by Jermaine Flood. And join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. I'm Marshall Ramsey. Happy Halloween, and I hope you have a great week. It's MPB Think Radio. I'm Charles Arnold. This is a special Fall Pledge Drive podcast episode asking you to support the MPB news and information you rely on each day. It's so easy to contribute. Call 888-372-4483 or spend just three minutes online at mpbonline.org. Thank you for your contribution. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.